0: Good morning, baseball fans. Welcome. We are back after taking a week hiatus. Did you miss us? Come on, we had to go enjoy our Memorial Day. I was in Boston. Not sure where Dave was. I think he was in Yellowstone. I was able to catch a Red Sox game with my family. They played the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, who, spoiler alert, I'm going to talk about a lot during this broadcast. I hope everybody had a great and relaxing Memorial Day weekend. For those of you joining us for the first time, or for all of you consistent listeners out there, I am your host, Jeff Besselman, and let me ask you, when was the last time you asked yourself what Bud Selig and Tupac Shakur have in common? If your answer is, oh, recently, then you are in for a treat. This is Rounding Third, the only podcast on the net to read your mind and combine such culturally relevant prompts into one tightly wrapped program and answer that aforementioned question. Here we go. This past week, the City of Milwaukee unveiled a museum-like exhibit, which they are calling the Bud Sea League experience. It's kind of like the Taylor Swift experience at the Grammy Museum, except Instead of allowing you to get really close to clothes, which were at one point taken off by Taylor Swift and leaving her in nothing but her signature red lipstick, hmm, this museum puts you face-to-face with baseball's favorite Caucasian octogenarian. The exhibit, which honors c career as the owner of the Milwaukee Brewers and the commissioner of baseball, contains a scale replica of Seelig's office, kind of like how the Unabomber's cabin is on display at a museum in D.C. So in Seelig's office, there is an authentic and smoldering cigar in an ashtray on his desk. Papers are scattered on the desk and all over the floor, and also Seelig's very own rotary dial phone, which apparently he used until his final day on the job. Just imagine the conversation where someone finally convinced Selig that baseball needed instant replay might have been had on a rotary dial phone instead of, oh, uh, I don't know, a touch tone. But then, just before you think you've seen it all, my friends, BAM! A big hologram of Bud Seelig appears giving visitors a chance to stand idly by and turn a blind eye to steroids along with the old commissioner. And then, in case you haven't had enough, to finish things off, fans get to walk out of the room, oh, yeah, just like Bud did during the 1994 labor dispute, which led to the cancellation of that year's World Series. Wow, that was a zinger. That might have even been mean... I'm gonna have to talk to our writers about that. It just felt spicy. <sighs> Sadly, that hologram technology is not used to recreate Tupac for another grand rendition. And according to Craig Calcaterra of NBC Sports, Bud Seeligland does not sell Seelig mouse ears. Which, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say it would be pretty awesome. Folks, as a continuation on a story we've been covering all season, Josh Hamilton is back. Don't call it a comeback, because he ain't go nowhere. Man, I remember going to a spring training game at Tempe Diablo Stadium and seeing nine Anaheim fans standing up behind home plate with letter cards that spell Town! every time their new toy came up to the plate. They must be so relieved right now. Oh, wait, not. Josh Hamilton, who spent five seasons with the Rangers, wound up in Anaheim where he was shed like T-Swizzle's ball gown, is now back on the Rangers. So far, in five games, he's got five hits with one double and two home runs helping Texas to win three of their last five games. Riddled by injuries and some uh, other health concerns, the quick surge has been a welcome surprise to Rangers management, fans, and oh yes, Hamilton himself. Responding to a question about his quick return to the Rangers lineup and his early home run streak, Hamilton told reporters, he said, I said it on my first day back here. I think I can be the player I used to be. I really feel that way. So it's good to do something for a home crowd that you've done that for before. Okay, point taken, Josh. Meanwhile, over there in Anaheim, the Angels are only holding on to a one-game lead against those Rangers in the AL West and are themselves five and a half games behind Houston for the head of their division. It looks like Josh Hamilton won't be the only Texas trouble faced by the other team from L.A. this season. The Washington Nationals, the squiggly W's. You know I just had to say it. I just couldn't resist, but I'm going to whisper it so it doesn't draw as much attention. The Washington Nationals have finally pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, bootstraps, bootstraps after getting off a start which, frankly, we made fun of quite a bit here on Rounding 3rd. As of this recording, they are in first place in the NL East. But dun-dun-dun! They have lost one of their pitching rotations, many aces, and also their left fielder. Now... Baseball knows all about injuries. Tommy Johns, Lou Gehrig's, Johnson's, and Johnson's. But in being dealt with injuries of two really important guys, the Nationals have drawn two cards which aren't played all that much in the big leagues. Uncertainty. Strasburg was removed from his start Friday night due to neck stiffness. Later, General Manager Matt Williams said, Something's causing him discomfort in his upper back. We've got to get it figured out. For those of you out there who aren't fluent in uh, baseball lingo, in English, that translates to, uh, we have no idea what the heck is wrong, but we're actually kind of freaked out about it right now. Pants will likely undergo a CT scan, an MRI, or both. And also, some general probing to figure out the cause of his ouchies. But speaking of CTs and MRIs, the Nats have figured out what is wrong with left fielder Jason Wirth, who, oh, let me, uh, he is best known for being the scariest looking dude in Major League Baseball. I mean, he's up there with Brian Williams and Ted Kaczynski. Okay, uh, why do I keep mentioning him today? Enough, Besselman! just know that if you were lost and in a dark alley and Jason Wirth came out from behind a dumpster, you'd piddle. Oh yeah, you would piddle and paddle. Worth left the team on the 19th with a wrist injury, which has been an issue throughout most of his career. But what may have exasperated the situation is that he had an x-ray done at some point in the season which showed no issues. Then, he had an MRI done, which showed no issues. It wasn't until a CT scan revealed that his wrist was broken in two places, which makes you wonder if he has played part of the 2015 season with a broken wrist. That being the case, it is now reported that Worth will likely be out until August. But based on the hard-to-see nature of his injury, it will be difficult to determine a timetable for his return. I wonder what that'll do to their odds to win the World Series. Oh, wait, to answer that? Oh, yes, folks. Let me turn it over to executive producer David A. Robbins in our Phoenix studio for this week's installment of Things That Aren't real
1: dave welcome to the program it is all yours thank you jeff and whoa way to put me on the spot there so the site where we get our odds vegasinsider.com updates their world series odds every monday and since we record sunday we're usually about a week behind so i'd fancy a guess that it'll be bad but not necessarily all that bad The Nationals have reclaimed sole ownership of second place in the future Zod since our last report, after Detroit dropped two places to third while the Dodgers have held on to first with a white-knuckled death grip. And these numbers have updated since Worth went down, so clearly they're not overly concerned about the loss of his axe-wielding mutton chops. I predict it with Strasburg out, the Nationals will fall into a tie for third with Detroit and Kansas City, while St. Louis will move into second, and Los Angeles will have a week or two to reassert their dominance if they want to hold on to their first-place ranking.
0: So, let me, let me get this straight. If St. Louis is first in the majors as of now, why in the world wouldn't they move into first when the numbers update
1: tomorrow? It makes no sense. What we've seen so far this year is that the bookmakers tend to change their odds slowly. Washington started the season ranked first to win it all and stayed in that spot for a few weeks even though they were losing almost every game. I think St. Louis has a good shot at moving into that spot within the next two weeks, but I don't think it'll happen yet. I think the best they'll get in tomorrow's update might be a tie for first, but I just don't see that happening as they've bounced between third and fourth place so far all this season. Taking a look at Fantasy Baseball, who has been the number one most added player across all ESPN leagues in the past week, Texas Rangers relief pitcher Sean Tulleson. In the last week, he has been added in 35% of all leagues, but is still available in 46%. The crazy part, though, is he's not even really their closer. Tulleson was referred to as the ninth-inning pitcher by Rangers manager Jeff Bannister as recently as Saturday when he commented that he's moving himself up the depth chart. All right, but if Tulleson has been in the closer
0: spot because Texas's main closer, Neftali Feliz is on the disabled list, Why are so many teams adding him? Won't he just lose his closer spot as soon as Feliz returns? Which, if I'm not
1: mistaken, Dave, could happen really soon. Tullison's relevance may be short-lived, but it's not unheard of that a bullpen guy earns the closer role after a stellar job filling in when the team needs help. Look at Koji Uehara. Here's why I think so many fantasy teams are adding him. Feliz and Tullison each have six saves so far this season. Feliz has done that in nine opportunities, while Tullison has done it in six. It'll be hard to argue with that perfect record. Feliz may have to win his job back if he wants to stay the closer, because I think Tullison has done what it takes to earn it.
0: All right, all right, all right, David. A robin some well-guided knowledge from our ace in the hole. Thank you very much for that, Dave. I look forward to talking with you next week.
1: You're welcome, Jeff, and back to you in New York.
0: So, what happened this past week with the scores? Well, I'm here to tell you. There was some good old-fashioned pugilism. The New York Yankees, the Bronx Bahamas, blew the blue out of the Kansas City Royals, scoring 11 runs against the Royals starting pitcher Jeremy Guthrie, who was only able to throw one complete inning before being sent to bed. Guthrie needed a whopping 60 pitches to survive the first inning. He gave up four home runs in that one complete inning. It was the kind of game where every single Yankee made it safely on base, with eight of them doing so with at least one hit. And Mark Teixeira, the lone guy hitless for the night, made it on a walk. Go, Mark. Let's see, the St. Diego Priest defeated the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim in what, almost, was an old-fashioned rubber match on Tuesday. Through nine innings, each team had five hits and zero runs, meaning the game was either really exciting or really, really boring, depending on uh, which side of the aisle you sit on and what your perspective is. But it didn't take much time for the Padres to start raining down plagues on the Angels once they reached extra innings. Former Dodger Matt Kemp started things off with a double, and then on the next at-bat came in to score the go-ahead run after Derek Norris knocked in a single. Six batters and two pitchers later, the Padres had a 4-0 lead. And while the Angels started to show brief signs of life in the bottom of the 10th, drawing a walk, and advancing the runner to third on a wild pitch, they went down swinging, ending the game on a strikeout, and failed to bring in even a single run. But here's the question. Who beat the pine tar out of who better than the rest? Honestly, this was a tough one based on this past week in baseball. There were a lot of good contenders this week, but I'm going to give it to none other than the Atlanta Braves. Get ready for this name, Hot Lana. Williams Perez blanked the defending champion San Francisco Giants in only his third Major League start. And it's not like the Giants had some no-name who's-it on the mound like Joseph Garson. They had two-time Cy Young Award winner Tim the Freak Lincecum hurling fast pitch from the mound. The Braves were led offensively by Juan Uribe, who was a triple away from hitting for the cycle but knocked in two runs and drew a walk before the night was through. So bravo to the pitcher with two last names for earning, wait for it, say it with me, the trouncing of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, we have come to that part of our podcast It is time for me to bounce out of here. Can you believe that this is our 11th week doing rounding third? This season is about a third of the way over. Unbelievable where the time goes when you're having fun. You know, last week I had Gavin sign off for me, my little six-year-old buddy. This week, unfortunately, he's not here. So apparently, I'm just gonna have to do the honors myself. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Good night. The Rounding Third Podcast is brought to you by writer and producer David A. Robbins. Production in our New York studio is directed by Maggie Robbins-Besselman. The Rounding Third theme song is used with permission from John Ross. Follow us on Twitter at rtpod, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pod, or email us at roundingthirdpod at gmail.com. All materials published on the Rounding Third Podcast are subject to copyright, and all rights are reserved by the respective owners. Once again, I am your host, Jeff Besselman. Thank you for joining me. And oh yes, I'll look forward to filling your minds with more baseball facts next week.